The section of scripture tonight we're studying this evening is Luke chapter 6. You're not real surprised about that. Luke chapter 6. This evening we are looking at what probably is, and this is going to catch you off guard, this is the shorter version of the Sermon on the Mount. You'd go, wait, wait, wait. The shorter version of the Sermon on the Mount, you can't do that. Either you've got the Sermon on the Mount or you don't have the Sermon on the Mount. What you have to remember in the Gospels is each Gospel is written from a little different perspective with a purpose. So Luke was not editing God's Word and leaving things out of God's Word. Luke wants us to see the Sermon on the Mount from a different perspective. Matthew in chapter 5 through 7 was writing as king. And he's saying, this is what my kingdom's going to be like. And he's very detailed as he goes through that. Luke is writing as the son of man. He's writing with compassion. He's wanting us to see, here's how you can live right now. And Jesus did it. So when Satan comes knocking at your door and Satan says, that's not possible, that's not the way it should be, he doesn't know what he's talking about, that's when we say, no, wait. He did know. And he went through everything that we went through. So he's presenting it from the servant or the son of man point of view, looking at it from the human standpoint. He's speaking to those who are experiencing these things. And so knowing Matthew's chapters 5 through 7, which many of you do, now think about it and then think about now what we're reading and see how they fit together. Matthew says it was on the mount, hence Sermon on the Mount. Look at verse 17, though, of chapter 6, where we read, And he came down with them and stood in the plain. And you go, wait, 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 pastor, this can't be the same place. Can't be the same thing. A plain is a flat area. D.A. Carson points out that the Greek word translated plain can mean a plateau. He was in the mountainous region. The scriptures tell us that. And you look and you say, oh yeah, scripture never contradicts itself. Scripture is always right. But sometimes we have to look and say, so what's this talking about? It helps us to understand, all right, they were in the mountains. They were on the mount. But now they're not all at an angle, are they? Now they're on a flat area. Like when you come to the summit or you come to an area that's nice and flat where everyone could gather and listen while the wind would be coming and bringing the sound down to them. It was a wonderful place for him to be speaking. Jesus is teaching what it means to have a blessed life. These were people who needed to understand the deceitfulness of Satan, and what they really had received. So let's look together. We're going to begin at verse 20 as we read. And he, Jesus, lifted up his eyes on the disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, 
and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Let's pause there for just a moment. The Beatitudes often contrast a false earthly estimation with true heavenly estimation of one who is truly blessed. It's a comparison. The Beatitudes are wanting you to see, here is the false thing that you're being told, and here is the true thing. And I find, here he's talking to believers. You notice how it switches in Matthew. He says, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And all of a sudden, he's talking about people that if you recognize this aspect of your life, here's the blessing that comes with it. In this, this was present tense. This is the way the people were. He says, blessed are ye. Let me get my point. Blessed be ye poor. He's saying, you all are poor. You all are hungry. You all are weeping. You all are hated. Now, it makes us stop and think, what is Jesus wanting us to know? Why is Jesus telling us this? And here's the title of this evening, Living on Earth with Eternity in View. Living on Earth with Eternity in View. Jesus is wanting people to know, here is the truly blessed position the Beatitudes present the present in light of the future. Okay, let that settle in for a moment because as you read these texts, it will help you to understand what Jesus is trying to say. The Beatitudes present the present in light of the future, living on earth with eternity in view. H.H. Farmer, who was uh, a a man who was writing commentary, lived in England. And the name of his book is Things Not Seen. And he wrote that to Jesus, what Jesus was trying to teach, to Jesus the terrible thing about having wrong values in life and pursuing wrong things is not that you are doomed to bitter disappointment but that you are not. Not that you do not achieve what you want, but that you do. You see, the problem is the things that Satan tells you, he says, you do this, and boy, this will really be fun. And what he was saying is what Jesus was wanting to teach them was, the sad part is, is that if you do this, there will be enjoyment. If you do this, there will be excitement. And the problem is then, we don't see where that path goes. We just see the excitement for that moment. 
We're short-sighted and Jesus is presenting. We need to live with eternity in view. We need to remember what's really important. And so Jesus begins and he says, blessed are you poor. So he's going to give us several things here. First of all, Jesus directs our attention to four attitudes tonight. Our attitude toward circumstances, our attitude toward people, our attitude toward God, uh, toward ourself, and our attitude toward God. And he's wanting us to think about each of these areas, circumstances, people, ourself, and God, and he wants us to recognize we need to have eternity in view. Because all eternity, this is a bargain. But you do need to understand some things are going to happen to you here on earth. So let's begin with our attitude towards circumstances, beginning at verse 20 again. Blessed are ye poor, or blessed be poor. You notice it's in italics there. They put the ye in just so that we could understand the context, but that wasn't there. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate from you, separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. So first of all, he talks about the reason for blessing. Why? Are these people poor? Why are these people hungry? Why are these people sorrowing? Why are these people persecuted? That's the question you've got to deal with. Obviously, Jesus wasn't saying, oh, it's a wonderful thing for you to go through heartache. It's a wonderful thing for you to be persecuted. This is such a grand thing. It's a wonderful thing for you to be sick. If that were the case, Jesus would not have been feeding people. Jesus would not have been healing people, right? Otherwise, he was stealing their blessing. You know, the point is, is not he's saying, boy, it's a great thing to be poor. It's a great thing to be suffering. It's a great thing to be hungry. It's a great thing to be sorrowing. What he is saying, these people, because of their choice to follow Jesus, were not able to get the work that they once could have. These people who once had all the food they had to eat, now because of their poor, because of their relationship with God, it has changed everything right now. They are no longer with the group that is accepted. They are rejected. And you young people, you just need to know. The world doesn't understand an eternal view. The world only understands immediate. And so the world's always going to say, oh, go do this. This will be fun. Well, it's not going to be fun for long. The world says it's okay. In fact, it's going to be fun if you cheat, if you, if you cut corners, or if you don't keep yourself pure. And there is a moment of happiness. There is a moment of excitement. There's a moment of thrill. But what they don't see is the long term. In fact, just even the immediate term where we would go, oh, that's not going to go well. So he's saying, blessed are ye, those of you who have already chosen to follow Jesus Christ, and you have just decided 
this is the right way to go and you're already suffering the consequences. In today's society, there are going to be times you will not be promoted because you won't play the game. There are going to be times you will not have friends. You won't be invited to parties. You, they're going to go, I'm not inviting him. He's just a stick in the mud. She's just a problem. I'm not going to invite you. And Jesus said, oh, don't be, don't think you've made a bad decision. Don't think that, ugh, as a Christian, I just can't do anything. And that always seems to be the attitude. Oh, you Christians, you, got, you can't do anything. Oh, yes, we can. But the next morning, when you are, oh, you're hurting. I'm doing great. I enjoyed the evening and the morning. You just enjoyed the evening, and I'm not certain about that. read such a sad article in the paper of a dad who is in prison. And he said, they tell me I did this to my daughter. I guess I did. I don't remember it. I was drunk. That's not that uncommon. We read about that with Lot in the Old Testament. Was that a fun time? Are you free to do it? Yeah, you're free to do it. But you're not free from the consequences. Jesus is saying, he's not proclaiming this virtue of being these different things. He's saying, you're blessed because you're on the right path. You're doing things not based on the immediate, but based on future. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 tells us that Christians can enjoy all that God gives him because he has eternity in view. Listen to this verse. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God. Enjoy what you have, but realize it's not this, it's this that's most important. Jesus experienced all these things that he's talking about. He's talking about poverty. He didn't even have a place to sleep. He didn't have a home. He, he didn't have food. He definitely was rejected by people. And he, weep, he was weeping over the things that he saw. Jesus understands what you're going through. Now, Jesus experienced all those things, but now let's move ahead. Look at verse 24. Notice now he says, Woe unto these people. Woe unto people who are riches because of their choices. Woe unto the people who are full because of this choice to reject Christ. Woe unto those who are having this. They're laughing right now because of their choice to reject Christ. Blessed are, uh, woe unto those who are popular because they're making fun of Christianity, because they're making fun of the gift that God has given. He says, woe unto you, woe unto you. Now he's not cursing them, he's telling them, this is where this path goes. He's not being unkind, he's being kind. Warren Wearsby made this statement. He says, life is built on character. Character is built on decisions. 
Decisions are built on values, and values must be accepted by faith. Think about that for a moment. We love people that have a good life, and we say, well, they have a good life because they've, they've built their life on something. They have character, and they've got character because they've already predecided certain things. But they make those decisions based on values. Values are built on what you believe, on faith. You young people, that's always going to come up for you where people are going to say, do this or do this, and you have to decide ahead of time. No, I don't do that. Why don't you do that? Because... I have these values. Well, how do you have those values? I have my values. It's all based on faith. What do you believe? Is God trustworthy? When God says, can we trust him? You make your decisions based on what you believe. Would you keep this mark, but would you turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 11? And we're just going to look at about five verses very, very quickly. And I just want you to see... Here's a man who made, who had, he had a good life, built on character, built on the decisions he made, based on the values he had, based on his faith. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why would you give that up? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Why would you do that? Than to in, uh, choosing rather to suffer the afflictions with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned." Do you see, everything that Moses did was based on his beliefs, his faith. His faith drove him then to be able to have values that were different from the Egyptians. And his values then drove his decisions. And his decisions made him who he was. And who he was affected what kind of life he had. We see he, Jesus is saying, please understand your attitude toward your circumstances is really important. It's easy for us to get bogged down and to be upset and to say, you just don't know what's going on in my life and woe is me because unsaved people are not treating me the right way and I don't get the advantages that other people get and we can go down that path. And he's, Jesus is saying, oh, change your attitude. You've made the right decision. You've made the right decision. Now, notice he talks about now our attitude toward people. He moves from circumstances, and he says, here's another thing you need to understand about 
living as a believer, he says, what's your attitude toward people? Eternal, the eternal causes us to be positive when other people are negative. How can you be so positive? I walk in the, in the hospital today to see Jessica, and Jessica is praising God. Jessica, you can't see out of one eye. You can't get up and do things. And you look at all the things she can't do. And you know what her attitude is? Positive. I'm so thankful they believed me and let me come in when I was sick. I'm so thankful I get an opportunity to show these people around me what God is like. Is it her circumstances? Uh, no. It's her perspective. It's her perspective. You see, her attitude toward her circumstances and her attitude, our attitude toward people. How can we be kind to people who are unkind to us? Because we have an eternal view. First of all, look at verse 31. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Look at verse 37 and 38. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. What is he telling you? First of all, he says, our eternal view causes us to treat others differently. I don't have to treat you the way you've treated me. I now am free to treat you the way I would like to be treated. And we get to enjoy that here on earth. It is amazing what you sow, you reap. I would love to say that I always plant the right crops. I don't. And if you would say, I have planted lots of bad crops. You know, here's the really cool thing. You can start today and start planting good crops. Isn't that neat? Just because you planted bad crops in the past doesn't mean you have to keep planting bad crops. And maybe in God's graciousness, he will give you a bad year of crops so that what you planted that was bad, maybe you only get, well, 30-fold rather than 100-fold. Wouldn't that be really great? God is so kind. You can change at any point. And he says, look, he says, by understanding you're in God's kingdom, you're one of God's people, he says, you can have a right attitude toward people. You can treat others the way you want to be treated. I loved it the other day. We, we just are moving into our new neighborhood. And I have been amazed Within 15 minutes when I pulled up to my house, I'd already met three or four neighbors. The way our houses are connected, there's a back alleyway and everyone drives in and they step out of their garage and they kind of look at each neighbor and they say hello and they talk to each other. And they said, you're new here. Did you just move in? And so we start talking with each other. Well, there's a neighbor on the other side of the street and I was trying to move some furniture in and he had parked his truck where I had shoveled a walkway the lake now but anyway um and he told me he's i we were talking a little bit and he said what are you doing here and i said i came to start a church he said there were a group of people here and they asked me to come up and help them start this church and he goes mm, he said 
I'm not an atheist. He said, I'm an agnostic. He said, I can't really say there isn't a God. He said, but I just don't know much about him. But he said, but I will say this. He said, I love the turn the other cheek, treat others the way you want to be treated, no matter how they, no matter how they kind of treat you thing about the Bible. He said, I really like that part. And I said, that's wonderful. I said, you know, we as Christians, we don't always do a good job of that. But I said, that's our goal as a church, that people would see us and they would just taste and see how good God is. He goes, oh, okay. And we didn't do anything else other than meet each other and get to know a little bit more about what's going on in each other's lives. But the reality is... We have something. We can treat others because we have an eternal view. But there's something else here that's really interesting that I think we ought to look at. Look at verse 36 with me. Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. Do you know every day we get to treat others the way it looks the most like God? Let that settle in for you a moment. We get to treat others the way it best looks like God. Every day we get to do that. We are his ambassadors. And so when your husband or when your wife or when your children or when your family member does something that they really deserve to get hammered for, I mean, they know it, you know it, and then you treat them mercifully, you get to represent what God's like. And the whole world has God turned around backwards. They don't get God. Because Satan has been telling lies and telling lies and telling lies. We, we kind of get used to that with the media, don't we? The media will say things and say things and say things, and they say them so often and so loud and so long, people begin to believe them. And then all of a sudden they'll realize they had no idea what they were talking about. Do you know that's the way most people are about God? They have no idea what our God is like. And every day, we get to treat people in a way that best reflects what our God is like. Isn't that exciting? Didn't that put a smile on your face? Think about it. Is your, is your face smiling? <laughs> Are you happy about that thought? This is a great, great idea. Really, the question is, who do you want to imitate? Do you want to act like the world or do you want to act like your father? The one who gave you all these things, the one who has provided an eternity for you in heaven, the one who provides things that you don't have to have the externals to still be happy because you have the eternal. And then we have to ask ourselves this question, so who wins in the end? Does God win with the way he is like or does Satan win with the way he's like? I choose the winner. I'm going to fly through this last part just so that next week we can get into chapter 7. But if you'll just hang on here. Um, he talks about our attitude toward circumstances, which we spent more time talking about. He talks about our attitude um, toward people, which we spent a little less time, but more than what we're going to get on this next one. Beginning at verse 39, as we skim ahead, we recognize he's going to talk about an attitude about yourself. Look at verse 39. And he spake this parable, can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? Now, a blind person can sometimes navigate pretty well as long as there's nothing there that they don't see coming because they're blind. 
what Jesus is teaching. First of all, he was talking about the Pharisees. But there is a good application for us, and that is make sure you see well enough to lead other people. Make sure that you are seeing the light enough to be giving people guidance. Verses 41 and 42, make sure we deal with ourselves before we deal with others. Why beholdest, and why beholdest thou the mote that's in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or say, hey, let me take that thing out of your eye when you've got stuff in your eyes to where you can't see what you're doing, and so now you're poking them in the eye all the time, and you're not helping them, you're irritating them, right? If someone walks up to you and says, here, let me get that out of your eye, you're going, whoa, wait a minute. Open your eyes, make sure you've got clear vision. That's exactly what he's saying. When you're dealing with other people, he says, first, the third thing is make sure your attitude about yourself is right. And that is, I need to make sure that my life is right before I try to tell other people how they ought to act. Um, be honest rather than being a hypocrite. Then in verses 43 through 45, he talks about um, can a tree, uh, can a good tree bring forth corrupt fruit? Does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit? And if you go through those, those uh, few verses there, what he's going to describe is this. He's saying, look, what comes out of your mouth is what you are. Recognize that. When you get really comfortable with where you are spiritually, listen to what you're saying and recognize you haven't arrived. Recognize things in your life need to change. The last thing, attitude about God, verses 46 through 49. And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not those things which I say? Then he's going to describe that. Our actions toward God's word reflect our attitudes toward him. Why do we say Lord, yet we don't act that way? And we have to pause and just say for a moment, are there areas in my life, in your life, in which our actions present a wrong attitude about God? Is the way we're acting right now showing that we're not good with God? We're angry about something. He goes on, and at the end he talks about, you know, in Matthew he uses, the wise man built his house upon the rock, the foolish man built his house upon the sand, and he makes this analogy here for us. He says, the person who says calls me Lord, Lord, but doesn't do what I say, is like the man who's building his life on sand so that when the floods come, what you've built falls apart. We could talk about Christians and non-Christians, but in this instance, what's he telling us? Is it possible that sometimes we're building parts of our house, part of our life on sand and some on the rock? Because in some areas, we're not obeying God's word. In other areas, we are obeying God's word. It's not an all or nothing, as we've probably all experienced in our lives, where we're doing really well in some areas, and other areas, not so good. And he says, just beware. Have a right attitude about God. God's trustworthy. Jesus is helping us have a right focus in four areas of life. Our circumstances, about attitudes about people, attitude about ourselves, and attitude about God. It's not our circumstances, but our relationship to God and our outlook on life, the way we view life, eternity in view, that brings joy and happiness. 
the Lord explained that the truly blessed life comes not from getting or doing, but from being. How many times have we equated our spiritual life to doing and having rather than being? The emphasis is on God-like character. Blessing or woe, only a loving God would warn us. Satan never has us look at eternity when we make decisions.